the word worship actually comes from worth-ship. Okay, sometimes when we get in this little Christian bubble, someone needs to look at me and say, hey, English, Carrie, can you speak English? So get out. Worth. What worth do we have on certain things? We're all created to worship. We're all worshiping something or someone. For instance, here's my daughter at 10 years of age. She's growing up with a single mom, okay? And I really want a dog. Some of you have, I really want a dog. I don't really want a dog. Okay, Brian, maybe when you're 10, when you're double digits, we can get a dog. You know, don't do that. Don't make those promises, right? <laughs> it's 10, it's my birthday, can I, can I have that dog? So anyways, uh, I didn't want a shedding dog. We did our research, we got a hype. And I'm not fully against dogs. I'm not a dog hater. <laughs> Cats, no kidding, 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 kidding. I'm just saying I had to adopt that dog. Yes, you did, you did. <laughs> anyways, we went shopping. Two grand later, I get a purebred Maltese because it's hypoallergenic and won't shed. And this little three pound white rabbit-like dog will become a best friend to Bria, truly. We have different values on the dog. I paid for the dog. She really values the dog, a lot. The dog has every outfit, booties. It has a throne bed and a lounger and a snuggler. The dog has everything. So I would get home early. I started to, in, in a management position, come home at 3 o'clock so I could walk to pick Bria up because that was a window I really wanted to get her after school and then go back to work. I would pick up the dog and we would walk. And I trained this dog that he didn't need to be on the leash. He could just follow 20 feet behind. He was very good at it. We went around the back of the house. There's a bit of a forest in Ontario, deciduous, lots of leaves, okay? <laughs> He's off the leash. I'm on a call, big call, focusing on the call. Start going around this little loop. I have about 15 minutes. The dog's behind me. All of a sudden, bah, 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 a big dog. I'm like, mute. <laughs> Just a minute, please. Whoever, whoever, Mr. VP, mute. Isaac, Isaac, get your dog on a leash. You know, control your dog, right? These kind of issues. Well, I, I'm sure I said it nicer. <laughs> Guys, come with me. I pick the dog up for a little bit. I get back on the phone call. Okay, the dog's gone. I can put him down. I go all the way around. I'm, I'm deep in my call now. I get home. I'm ready to go pick Bria up. Phone's done. Isaac? Isaac. Isaac! Isaac, yelling at the top of my lungs. He's nowhere. I go all the way back in the forest. I do the whole trail again. I stop everyone. I stop the guy that I just almost took a strip off and said, excuse me, have you seen my little dog? No, I haven't. I'm like, you probably ate my dog. Kept going, going, going. Came all the way back. Did another lap. My neighbor, I'm sitting on the lawn now. I'm sitting on the lawn, you guys. How am I going to tell my daughter I've lost the dog in the forest. I don't even know where he, he's not going to survive. He's going to be eaten. He looks like a bunny. I'm, I'm sitting there. I've got two neighbors of both Bria's best friends. They love Isaac. They're coming. Where's Isaac? Miss Carrie, where's Isaac? Isaac's not here right now, right? I take another. My neighbor's worried now with me. I'm like, I just got to pray. I'm like, Lord, I'm desperate right now. Okay, no joke. I don't know if I could live with myself. I mean, that's a big phrase, but like... I'm going to have nightmares about what happened to that dog. How am I going to tell my daughter I lost the dog in the forest? I did one more lap, and I'm like, Lord, forgive me. I was so rude and selfish, and, you know, I'm having this confession time as I'm going through the forest, hopeless. I get back. i got to go to my neighbor's like, this is crazy. I get back there, the front door, the dog, looking at me found his way all the way home from the forest. Bria's like, comes down skipping in and she's like, Mom, you're late to pick me up today. You look stressed. You, you have an okay day? Hi, Isaac. Hi, Isaac. I'm like, hi, Isaac. Hi, Isaac. Hi, Isaac. In that moment, I learned that something so fragile, that was so important, 
needed to have more attention than I was giving it. Hard lesson learned. Real lesson learned. And as we enter into this passage this morning, I have a personal prayer, and I want it to be the prayer of each of us in this room, that the Lord would teach us his worth. Oh, just hear me on that. Even if you don't know him, like here, I don't know Jesus, that that would be a prayer. Lord, teach me your worth. And that is my prayer that it will never, ever stop. Because this passage is going to undo you to realize maybe we don't realize all that he's worth. Maybe. So let me just pray that. Mm -hmm. uh, Father, Lord, every heart right here in this place, Lord, we have one request we want to submit to you right now. Teach us your worth. Teach us your worth. And I'll go one step further and I'll say, would you just whisper that to your own soul right now if that's your desire? Lord, teach me your worth. In the name, the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hmm. So today we're continuing in our study of the book of Revelation. And John has this amazing experience where he's experiencing what's true in heaven, right? We started that last week. Now, Paul wasn't allowed to talk about the glories that he experienced. You know, he needed to be humble, but John is allowed. In fact, John's commanded to share what it is that he's shown. Uh, can I just say something? Can I just say that, you know, John, he went up to heaven, he experiences this. Can you imagine having to come back? Can you imagine having to come back? I just want to say this. If I die, and you guys who are my amazing friends are all concerned about the fact that I died, and so here I am, I'm experienced Jesus, I'm in the presence of Jesus, I'm like, worshiping I'm like in awe I'm like in my glory and you guys start to pray because you miss me and want me back and Jesus turns to me and says Roger sorry I, I know you're here but your friends aren't letting you go and I, and I begin to see Jesus fade and he, he sends me back to earth and if I come back to this room I just want you to know I'm gonna slap you I'm just letting you know Actually, I won't. I'll probably apologize, but if I'm gone, let me go. That's all I'm saying. We get a picture here of what John experiences. Let me read Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Just the first verse, because there's so much even just in the first verse. We sang about this verse just earlier. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So let's just recap because there's foundational pieces that we need to learn from Revelation. Yeah, we're getting a glimpse of eternity, which is so amazing. But what did we learn last week? The throne. The first thing that John sees was the throne. Did some of you, as you ventured into touching that fourth reality, heaven, heaven's not far away. I mean, we think it's way up there. I think Joanne just stepped into a, the fourth dimension of reality, an unseen reality. In the twinkling of an eye, boom. Oh, it's amazing. So I pray even in your prayer time with the Lord, you were able to enter into that. You saw that throne this week. And what did you see around it? Remember, there's a rainbow all around it. Did you enter through that rainbow? Did you enter through? And, and what was in there? The sea, and what does that represent? Chaos in the world. But the sea before God's throne is what? Glass. glass. Crystal. Crystal glass. <sighs> Can you imagine that? 
Because if we're living in that, and, and my mind's set on heaven, and, and I want to be on that throne with you, Lord, where you're ruling and reigning, you're, you're sitting on your throne. He's sitting, right? He's not rising. He's not pacing. He's not insecure. He's at peace, at rest, ruling and reigning on his throne. And so when I enter into his presence, you find calmness in your chaos. You find a still in your storm. And I, I'm loving being, I gotta be there. We gotta focus on being there. We gotta train our minds to set them on things above, not things here on earth. Mm -hmm. And so as you took that focus this week, and I pray you didn't, and maybe you, I did a couple times, Carrie, let's get back on that. Throne first, him who's sitting on the throne, I want you to set that, that present reality, ever present, so much so that my evangelism's changed. I told you I have a dentist that I won't let go of for 13 years. Remember, we started having a conversation when Ukraine and Russia broke out, those of you that were with us. Best conversation we've ever had. Well, I came back this week. And in the lobby, this is what's happened. When, when, when you live in this spot, this is fresh story. I see this picture in his lobby. I took a picture. He took that picture. He loves taking art. Um, what does that remind you of? I'm like, I'm undone. I'm like, I gotta take a picture in it. He's like, Carrie, what are you doing? I get in there, I'm like, you're not gonna believe that. I wish I had the picture last week. He's like, why? I'm like, because Revelation 4 talks about the throne room of God and that reminds me of the throne room of God. Look at it. And then he comes alive again because now I'm hitting into something that, he took that picture. He remembers that spot. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, you're making it real to me. Half an hour. He hasn't even started on my teeth yet. We're still talking. <laughs> We're still talking. And he knows, and he's so in awe of the transformation in Jay, to be honest. And he's nervous that I might, he might lose me to, to Jay. He might. <laughs> but you know what? He has a wound of rejection himself. He's gone through a hard breakup. And the truth is, in that moment, as I left, I needed to reassure him of something. And I looked at him after our great conversation, and I said, hey, Graham, I'm not trading my dentist. And I'm telling you, I feel this warmth in his soul to be like, he thinks he's working on my teeth. He is not working on my teeth. I left there going, Lord, you love so much so much and so I just say that because that's fresh and I want us even as we get into this that it's a reality that we take it no matter where we are and we just involve ourselves in their lives because the Lord wants all of us to be with him in eternity in this spot so in this moment in the throne room all of a sudden we're in chapter 5 and the scroll is introduced so John's just in euphoria and he sees the scroll Put verse 1 back up there, Marcus. And I saw in the right hand of him, you can imagine, in God's right hand, of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. So there's a scroll. Obviously important. Otherwise, God wouldn't be holding the scroll, right? So what is the scroll? What's inside the scroll. Why does it have writing on both sides? Normally a scroll only has writing on one side. I want you to know this. The scroll represents all God's unchangeable plans and judgments. All of God's unchangeable plans and judgments. Things that are gonna be revealed in time. That's what's in the scroll. It's ultimately important and God's holding it. And now why is there writing on both sides? I want to I wanna say it's because it's complete. It's complete. This plan is complete. It's already written. There's nothing that can be added to it. Nothing that can be taken away from it. In fact, the last verse in the book of Revelation is, maybe it's not the last verse, maybe the second last verse, but basically says if anyone adds to these words, or takes away from these words, may the curses that are found in this book be on them. 
This is a complete revelation. Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. And it's sealed with seven seals. Now we talked about the number seven in the Bible is important. Why? Because what does the number seven mean? Complete. That's right. It's completely sealed. God's plans and his judgments are sealed. And now back in this time, Roman wills, they would actually be sealed this way. They dug one up in 1976, this Roman will. It had seven seals on it. But here's the interesting thing about a will. When does a will get powerful? When someone dies, right? When someone dies. When someone dies, the, the will is unsealed and suddenly the plans are executed. Everything that's planned gets done. And so here we have this scroll that's sealed. And we're going to see who's worthy to open the scroll. But the point is, it wasn't able to be enacted until there was a death. It wasn't able to be executed until there was a death. It's the same way citizenship was also established in Rome seven witnesses, seven seals. And so therefore to get citizenship, that's a big thing. You'd have to go before the right judge to be able to open these seals. There was an authority that was based on it. And what God has written, he has written. He's written in this to be complete. There's this holy fear and reverence, not like our documents, oh, cancel that. No, this is the document, the greatest real estate deed title to the universe lies in his hand. All of history. Hmm. So there's a scroll in God's hand. I'm going to keep reading, but before I keep reading in chapter 5, I just want to say this. When I was in seminary, I had a professor, my favorite professor. His name was Ben Oshabilsky. He made me laugh all the time. He was so corny. He was always corny, always telling jokes. He was so kind. He was like such a kind professor, my favorite professor. When he taught... On Revelation 5, it riveted me. It riveted me. He sort of did it in this corny way. He's like, oh no, oh my goodness. Ah. And he would, oh no, he'd always say, oh no. But I never forgot it. I never forgot it. I want to read it for you. Verses 2 to 6 of chapter 5. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or under or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. You can imagine. Like these are all God's plans. This is everything God has for the world, for the consummation of all things. His plan to take care of sin and, and to take care of evil. Like this is God's plan and no one's able. And John, he's seeing this and, and this angel's proclaiming who's worthy and no one's worthy. And John, this is his response. You can just imagine him. I wept and I wept. Not just a little, not just a tear in his eye. He wept and he wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or even look inside it. Then, then, then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. You can imagine John. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And you can imagine John at that moment, like he'd stop crying and this excitement would come over his face and he'd be looking and he's, he's looking for what? Looking for the lion, right? The lion of Judah, the triumphing lion. But what does he see? Then I saw a lamb. Very different than a lion. Then I saw a lamb, not just any lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God 
sent out into all the earth. So let's look a little deeper here because there's a lot here and I want us to see some insight into this passage. The angel, a mighty angel, is saying, who's worthy? John's excited about the scroll, right? He's like, wow, all eyes on the scroll. <clears throat> who's worthy? So, so that would be, who can do, you, you're rich enough? What's your resume say? Like, we, we all want to be of some worth, right? What can you do? Well, I, I have all these degrees, and, and I'm this strong, and you, I look like this. Who's worthy? Who's worthy? Like, God's making a call out. And don't you want to be like, okay, John would be like, can I do it? Okay, but you're in heaven. All light, no darkness. All truth, no lie. Nobody's fabricating any resume. And then silence would enter heaven. Your heart would sink. Well, why? Rejected. Denied. You're not worth it. You don't have what it takes. Don't cut it. Have some of you felt that on a different level? There's no pain like that. There is no pain like the fact that rejection, like I, I don't have what it takes. That's all around our society, okay? So John in this moment, you know he's kind of, he could be shocked. But again, instantly his soul feels that. Do you see that? The weeping uncontrollably. That's a present pretense that keeps going. It's a wailing, an uncontrollable wailing. There's the sorrow that comes from hope deferred makes the heart sick. A hopeless, it's not going to work, it's not going to work. You keep trying, you keep trying, you keep trying, it's not going to work. In this moment, John realizes that he just, no one has it. No one has what it takes. Do you see the soul weeping? But Carrie, there's no tears in heaven. Oh, true. Revelation 21, new heaven, new earth. But in this moment, our soul feels the weight of not being worthy. But this is life death because John knew him John saw him resurrected but in this moment his soul is feeling the weight of that and he can't stop crying now look at the position of the elder this isn't a heavenly angel that's interesting to me too elder what does the elder represent the elder in comfort says don't weep the elder represents a lot of the wise and learned. The elder represents saints. I believe both present day and, and past. In that moment, they have an understanding. How many of us would come in here as a new Christian and start crying about something that we know that the Lord, we can give that to the Lord in prayer, and I could say, hey, don't weep. Let's pray about it. This is an elder saying, hey, John, don't weep. Look. Okay, interesting. Don't weep. Look. When we're weeping and it's all about me and I don't have what it takes and I can't do it, I'm stuck in the me zone. Me, me, woe is me. Here's the difference of Christianity. We get our head out of woe is me and we look at who's worthy. Life changer. Out of this, out of me, out of me, I have to make a choice, look. Look at the one who's worthy. And so John takes that, stands, and in that moment, he's going to see. He sees Jesus. Now, why is Jesus described as a lion? How many of you have ever been to Africa? Any of you? Yeah? I was there. I went on safari in Uganda. I'm on safari, and, and we're in these vans. 
And I'm sitting in the back of the van, you know, like those like 10 passenger vans where it's got five rows and I'm in the fifth row. And, and the van stopped and they're like, oh, there's a pride of lions, there's a pride of lions and everyone's ooing and aahing and taking pictures. And I'm like, I can't see anything from the back of the van. I literally cannot, I need to see the lion. I need to see the lion. I'm like all the way across the world in Africa. I can't see the lion. Finally, I get frustrated. It's like five minutes I'm waiting back there. Finally, I'm like, let me out of the van. Let me out of the van. So I get out of the van and I start walking with my camera towards the lions. I'm no more than like 10 feet away from the, uh, from the lion. I mean, from the van, not 10 feet from the lions. I'm, I'm much further than 10 feet away from the lions. And I'm like taking pictures. And then everyone starts yelling at me, Roger, 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 Roger. <laughs> what I didn't know, there was a lion circling around where I didn't see. I'm looking at these lions, there's another lion. I'm like, okay, maybe not the smartest move, Roger. I don't always make smart moves. But have you ever seen a lion? It's like strong, it's like, muscular, it's like sinewy, like, like every step it takes, it's like muscles twitch, right? It's just like this powerful creature. If you're having trouble imagining it, just think of me, but on all fours. It's sort of, it's not a joke, people, my goodness. But people fear the lion, right? People fear the lion. Also, Lions are the best football team. Just saying. <laughs> so, oh, just saying. The Lion of Judah, though. The Lion of Judah. Why Judah? Interesting. Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? You know, there was this blessing given to Judah. There was a blessing spoken over Judah by his dad. Do you remember that blessing? It's found in Genesis 49, verses 8 to 12. I'm just going to read it. You'll see it up on the screen. This is the blessing as, as the father's dying. He says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter, the rule, the reign, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Who are they talking about there? Who's going to rule all the nations? Who's going to come from the line of Judah? And he will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine. Hmm. His robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Prophetic word about the Lion of Judah. Prophetic word about Jesus. He's the Lion of Judah and what else? He's also called the Root of David. Remember David? Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. David's like this warrior king, right? And Jesus comes from the Lion of Judah, like actually, literally, and he comes from David. David's also in the Lion of Judah, the kingly line, right? But how can Jesus, who was born after David, right? Jesus born after Judah, born after David, Jesus born. How can Jesus, who's born after David, be the root of David? Only if he was before. Only if he was pre-existent. Only if he was creator God, the eternal one. But John doesn't see the lion. This is really important. Very important from Jewish literature because the Jews were looking for the lion, the promise. They're still looking for the Messiah to come strong and mighty. That's their promise. And in this moment, he sees him as an overcomer, but you can't see him as that overcomer until you see him. 
as the slain lamb. Because the Jews that did see him when he was crucified saw him as a suffering savior. Not a lot of them. And in this moment, you know who does a really beautiful illustration of this? is C.S. Lewis. It's marvelous. Marvelous. The lion. Majestic. Do you know lions sleep with their eyes open? Powerful, stately, but so gentle to them. Walks them through. And how does he portray himself in, in C.S. Lewis Narnia? The lion himself portrays overcoming how? By lying himself down on the stone altar like a slain lamb. And when is the curse of Narnia broken? When he dies. <sighs> the spell, so to speak, of the white evil witch is broken at the moment that that lion slash lamb offers himself willingly and winter begins to be reversed and spring starts to come, you remember it. So beautiful, so powerful. So this lamb that John, John sees is slain. What an image, slain. Seven eyes, seven horns. All-knowing, all-seeing, all-wise, Jesus. Horns, authority. They incur wounds on other animals. They have power. They have an anointing. Kings will be anointed with horns. This lamb who's slain, seven horns, seven eyes, stands in the middle of the throne. Now the positioning is very, very significant because there's one sitting on the throne and all of a sudden this slain lamb is right in the middle as well. Oh, don't miss this. Don't miss this. For every sports reel you want to watch and every slow motion of any best exchange ever, there's a hand that meets a hand in the Father and the Son because it's in his bosom that the Son is home again, and the Holy Spirit, and you see the Trinity, I see the Trinity there, because I see the slain lamb standing with all authority, and I see this home in the throne between a father and a son that undoes me. I didn't read that from anywhere. It's what the Lord imparts to me in that moment, that exchange. Will be like nothing we have ever experienced. A slain lamb. Can you imagine John at this moment? John was with Jesus. John was the one that laid his head on the bosom of Jesus. The same hand that would say, hey, this is my body broken for you. This is the last time I'm going to eat with you guys. And one of you at this table is going to betray me. And John, Peter's like, John, ask him, who is it? Who is it, Lord? It's the one I give the bread to. Judas. That hand that for all eternity, hear me on this, is going to carry scars in heaven. because he loves us. In that moment, we'll take the great exchange of the scroll. Mm -hmm. Verses seven and eight. He, the he being the lamb, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp that they were holding, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of God's people. You see, Jesus takes the scroll from the Father, 
Why? Because he's the only one who's worthy. He's the only one worthy to, to break the seals. He's the only one worthy to conduct the ending of eternity. To literally oversee everything that's going to happen over the next 20 chapters that we're going to read together. He's the only one who's worthy to oversee all of it. But he's worthy for a reason. He's worthy for a reason. I'm even going to draw attention to the table in front of you. I actually want you to each grab one of those communion cups and hold on to it because we're going to be doing communion at the end. But he's worthy because he gave himself for us. That's why he's worthy. That's why it's a slate land. He's worthy because he gave himself for us. So see the position that the elders take now? What did they have in the last chapter? Crowns on their head that they tossed. And now in place of this moment, don't miss this, there's a harp and a golden bowl that they carry. And if ever you want to know what prayers look like, this is a powerful passage that I pray is seared into your soul and spirit today. Prayers, prayers, incense, day and night, night and day. You know the song. It's worthy of it all. Incense. Incense was always something that the Lord wanted in the temple. The high priest in Exodus 30, morning and night. And you're like, well, incense. No, have you ever smelled someone and you're like, it smells so good. Have you ever walked into a place and you're just like, oh, it smells so good in here. Have you ever wondered why a garden has all different flowers and they all smell differently? Have you ever wondered if maybe the prayers of what you speak to the Lord come before him as fragrant and he can smell Joanne and he can smell Natalia and he can smell Francina and he knows because they're right in the golden bowl. Why are they in the golden bowl? Your prayers are preserved. They're recorded. They're very significant and they're right before the throne and they didn't have access before. Why? Why? Because the exchange didn't happen. That, what happened at the exchange? Not Aslan. Jesus, it's finished. Veil torn. Rocks broken. Dead out. In that moment, something happened in the universe that allowed relationship. The greatest joy we have, I have, is that we can relate and have conversation with the Father and the Son right now. Nothing like it. And so those prayers, who, who got this idea? Do you remember the psalmist, King David, warrior King David, also worship leader? It's him that in Psalm 141, verse 2, will write this, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. That's King David. Who else learned about the harp? King David. King David. So you got prayers, and you got harp. I see praise, and I see prayer. And they go together, my brothers and sisters, like nothing else. And so the harp, do you remember when, when Saul, the employer, was really angry at, at David? And he's like, get that boy in here. He's, he plays songs. And what did he do? He started playing the harp. First Samuel 16, you go look it up. And what happened? The evil spirit left. There is an anointing on music. There is an anointing on music. That evil spirits flee when it's worship based on who you are and what you've done. Anything that talks about his blood, his death, he's worthy. Get in those songs because they lift you right to that place to be like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And so you've got the praise and you've got the prayers from the elders now surrounding the throne. Fragrant. Do you, do you see what's going on? Like I, in John, he's having a light show. He's seeing rainbows. He's hearing thunder and rumblings. He's seeing angels. And now he's smelling things like he's just undone. It's a euphoria of the senses are all awakening and he has no virtual reality. Do you realize what that means? That means you get to play a part in the greatest drama 
that's ever unfolded. Amen. You get to play a part. Your prayers, your worship, being recorded there. You're a part of what's unfolding in the heavenly realm. Let's keep reading verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Our reign has begun, amen? Amen. Amen. We're already now made to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. There's an already component to this. It's already done. That's what Christ did on the cross, right? But there's a not yet component there too. You see that? You have made them, that's already happened, and they will, future, they will reign on the earth. Already, not yet. The future, already here, but not yet. I think that so many people get their theology messed up when they don't understand that. There's a big struggle with this happening right now in the church. Uh, there was a cost for us to join the heavenly chorus, right? To be a part of this kingdom, to be a part of this priesthood. And the cost was the lamb. John 1, verse 29, John, John says this. This isn't the Apostle John. This is John the Baptist. He says this. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right when he saw Jesus, he knew who Jesus was. So Jesus sheds his blood on the cross for us. He, he pays for our sin. He, he died and rises again for our victory. So how did he conquer? He conquered by his shed blood. 100%. That's why we celebrate that at communion, right? When we take the Lord's Supper, the Lord says, this blood, do this in remembrance of me. This blood is for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. So what else do we see? We see the lamb that was slain for us. But what else do we see? We see that the lamb that was slain is standing, right? He's standing. He was put in the grave, but he didn't stay in the grave. What he's doing now is standing. What he's doing right now in the heavenlies is standing. That's why he's worthy died, but he didn't stay dead. He conquered death so that we could live forever. So this lamb has this, who's standing, has this weakness though. But what kind of weakness does the lamb have? The weakness that this lamb has is a chosen weakness. You see, Jesus is the lion that chose to be the lamb. John 10, 18 says this, this is the words of Jesus. He says, no one takes it from me. He's speaking about his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. Now, this is really interesting. And authority to take it up again. I have authority to give myself, and I have authority to conquer death in the grave. You see that? This command I received from my Father. Do you see this? Is that display of weakness in absence of power? A thousand times no. A thousand times no. It's the ultimate display of power that he gives himself. Jesus snatches victory from death through his weakness. Jesus wins by becoming a lamb. How many of you have ever watched Muhammad Ali boxing? I know I'm aging myself, but I remember him boxing. Do you remember he had this one strategy that he was famous for? Remember what it was called? The rope-a-dope, right? He would let, letting him hit his Fraser. It was against Fraser, right? Fraser Ali, wasn't it? The, yeah, I think it was. 
Anyways, he would pretend like he was getting beaten. He would pretend like he was getting beaten. He would pretend for round after round after round until he came out, until he came out swinging. He was just pretending. Jesus entered death in order to conquer death, and there was no greater display of divine power. Matthew 26, verse 53 says this, Do you not think that I could call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? You know when Jesus said that? He said that when they were coming to take him to the cross. And his disciples were ready to fight. And Jesus says, I don't need you to. Don't you think that I could at once ask my father he would send 12 legions of angels? Jesus, instead of being this ferocious lion that hurts others, he becomes the slain lamb that takes on the hurt of others. Do you see that? Do you see that? He takes our sin. He takes our pain. He takes our struggle. He takes sin itself. And Satan is destroyed by this slain lamb. And you know, we might even be okay with the worthiness of the lamb, right? Even the weakness of the lamb we're good with, right? We're even okay with that. But we resist the third thing. You know what the third thing is? The way of the lamb. Why do we resist the way of the lamb? I think we resist it because of the way of the lamb is what we're called to as well. You know, you'll hear this a lot, that there's this health, wealth, prosperity gospel. We like that, right? We like that. But who likes trials, tests, suffering? Who likes that? You know, the apostles, they all died for their faith. You know who's most honored in the book of Revelation? It's coming coming the martyrs the martyrs are most honored in heaven remember the word martyr is the same word as witnesses and jesus says you'll be my witnesses you're going to give yourself for me remember paul he had this thorn in the flesh and he wants it taken away so he prays that it would be taken away i mean all of us would want Difficulty taken away, right? And in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, he, he writes this, he said, but he said to me, this is God saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's the way of the Lamb. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am, and this is Roger's paraphrase, the most like Jesus. The most like Jesus. Westmount is living for the sake of Christ enough for you if it means living in weakness? Are we content with being weak if weakness allows the power of God to manifest itself? If humility allows God to do something that doesn't rely on our human strengths, what if our pleas for God to move and manifest his power are answered with trials and difficulties. What if that's the case? We all want the lion. But what if he calls us to be a lamb for his sake? This is meat Christianity. You know what I mean by meat Christianity? I mean, it's not milk Christianity. This is the meat of faith. This is Jesus saying to his disciples, consider the cost. And remember James and John, they're like, 
they're like arguing about who gets to sit on the right and the left of Jesus when it comes to the culmination of all things. And what does Jesus respond to them? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you suffer the way I'm going to suffer? You want kingdom authority? It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. And James and John answers, yes, we're willing to drink the cup you're going to drink. Jesus says, absolutely, you're going to. You're going to drink that same cup. But to whom the Father gives authority to sit on my right and my left, that's not up to me. That's up to the Father. We were in prayer before the service and and one of them began to recount a time when Jesus was on the cross and they were mocking him and as they were mocking him they said you know take yourself down off the cross then we'll believe in you right take yourself down then we'll believe in you tempting Jesus to take the easy way out But Jesus, he doesn't take the easy way out, does he? Because he's more concerned about glorifying his Father. He's more concerned about being obedient to the Father. And before you conclude that I'm calling you to a life of resignation, I'm not calling you to a life of resignation. I'm calling you to a life of reliance. Reliance on Jesus. To allow him to be your strength. I want you to note the Father's heart here when it says, from every tribe. This is very significant, especially in our day and age. From every tribe, language, nation, he purchased people. Do you see how that portrays this ethnic, linguistic, national diversity? It's not differences and diversity aren't problems to be solved. Hear me. part of the Father's plan from the beginning. So if we make it a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Plain and simple. And unity doesn't mean uniformity because they all have different languages and they're different backgrounds and they're all there around the throne in this beautiful display. You know that song, red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. And in this moment, I wonder if he's calling us back to working that out here and now. Working that out here and now. And I think a lot of the First Nations, that's the soil that we're on. And that we would just love and receive and accept and bless. Hmm. Let me finish by reading verses 11 to 14. Then I looked. Now, here's the hope. You know, if everything would have ended after verse 4, where they said, you know, who is worthy? If, if the story would have ended there, where it says, and no one could be found who is worthy to open the scroll, if the story would have ended there, we more than anyone would deserve to be pitied. But the point is, the story didn't end there. Here's where the story ends. Here's our hope. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. How many is that, you math majors? It's a whole butt-ton. That's Roger's word. It's a ton. (laughs) They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power 
forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Do you see the crescendo of worship here? Starts a little bit, keeps getting bigger. You, how many have seen Handel's Messiah? I have. This next generation, perhaps not as much, but it's rich. It's full of scripture, right? It's just got movements. This is a movement starting here. It's building, it's building, it's building until the whole place is full with innumerable worshipers. Something to be said about that. Because saint in all the Bible is never just saint. There's always an S on it. You know why? Because the Lord loves it when his people are together worshiping him. Worship as we, we look at the lamb and we put our focus on the lamb. And what's the focus about? It's not about his miracles. It's not about what a great teacher it was. What's the focus of every song, the central song of the central universe, is about his death, what he's done, what he's done for us. And that's why Paul spends his whole life like, I want to understand the worth and the fellowship of his sufferings. So it's not that we need to shrink away from that. The more and more we realize that, we realize what he's done for us. What he's done for us. And John, in that moment, could feel it in his soul. But as he turns and looks at the lamb and the love that the lamb has, that he's still on his throne interceding for us right now as we enter into worship. We don't start it here. We enter in. It's all going around all the time. What happens, John? John's despair changes to joy. Bigger than any football stadium with any touchdown. Like, the whole place is is singing in unity. And you know what happens even in our bodies as we worship together? The blessing of the Father. All of our hearts are going to beat in unison. Do you know that? That is crazy awesome. That's the Father that says, all of you need one another. And so as we come in the end, some people are like, yeah, I just, I worship on the golf course by myself. Okay, well, that's great until you get a bad shot. And then that's not the best worship, right? The Lord wants us to be together. Why? Because elders have something to pick one another up and encourage one another and pray for one another and help each other redirect us where? Redirect our heads to say, hey, do you see the lion? Do you see the lion? It's been a hard week, Carrie. I know. It's been a hard week for me. You know how many times I have to keep reminding myself to look? in that moment I'm just one with you coming around the throne in this moment with unbelievable eruption of crescendoing worship like none other all undone in ceaseless praise so when Roger's saying glory and honor and thanks you know what that is that's just a relationship that says Hey, did you see that? Did you see that shot? No. Did you see what my God did today? Like, I was so down, and he picked me up. Well, how did that happen? I don't know. I went to this crazy church service, and I've never been before, but I started to enter into what? Song and worship and pray, and I just started to open up my heart, and worship started to take me out of despair and and enter into a hope and took me out of decay and started to put me into glory and started to fill me up, and I started to stand just like the lamb, like almost like I was with him. And I felt almost like he had made me to reign and rule. Huh. Wow, you mean that? Yeah. With what? Peace and a surety. And how do you do that best, Carrie? What I've taken from this whole thing is I want to learn more to rule and reign by the greatest power of the entire universe. And it's sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. That is the kingdom reigning. That means forgiving when forgiveness feels like that's not right. It means being patient. It means loving and being kind and being gentle. 
and offering to help someone when I don't feel like it. Offering that love that begins to rule and reign, and you know what? It breaks down walls. And love starts to flow. It starts to inspire people all over to be like, why are you doing that? Why? Because there's one that's done it all for me. Two dominant images in all of Revelation. One is the throne, and you know what the other one is? The lamb. Do you know the lion of Judah is only mentioned once in all Revelation? 19 times we're going to hear about the lamb. You know why? Because it's our king, Lord Jesus, desired image and portrayal of what he wants to be known for in us. Like, ring myself out, Lord. I'm sorry for everything. I make it about me. When the Lamb's given it all. And so I say to you, right now as we enter into this place of worship, and I said to Roger, I know I get really excited sometimes, and I move around, and I've even been convicted about that. And I know some of you are like, Carrie, just be you. But I said, what if it dismisses somebody in the room? to not pay attention because, oh, she's so theatrical. Lord, I don't want to take anything away from you. I will stand behind a pulpit and I'll, I'll just speak your word if it draws someone to the severity of the text. But I want to tell you this. That you can never exaggerate this. into your hearts. You cannot exaggerate ever carry that revelation five of what my son has done for you. Just bow our heads for a minute. Just close our eyes. let it stand in that speechless awe and wonder that you would hear your people as incense before your throne because it's your delight so we together in this place come around to say Jesus Christ you are worthy you are worthy all praise and thanks and honor and wealth and glory and wisdom because you rule and reign now and forever in the holy name of the Lamb of God. Jesus. Yeshua. Often when we hear signs of the times, we're looking for earthquakes or thunder and lightning. But in a steady, faithful walk with Christ, you'll find that he often speaks even in the little things of life. 
And so when I come across this new worship album, it's a sign to me. Never have we experienced so much worship in our globe right now at an all-time high. All ages, all instruments, all languages, all tongues giving glory and honor and praise and wisdom and strength and power and wealth and praise belong to him and him alone, Jesus Christ. And so is it by accident that the new cover for Elevation's worship would be this? even representing this next generation in which the Lord loves immensely and will never stop speaking to them through the ancient signs, the precious lamb of God, the overcoming lion of Judah. He's our Lord. He's our King. Worship Him with me. <laughs> 